Hi, my name is Beth, and I am the host of the Seeking Light podcast. In a world that presents us with growth and challenges, there is tremendous light. And this podcast is a source of light through scriptural insights that I have gained through the years. Come join me as I share light in a world that can sometimes be confusing. Okay, I want to welcome all of you to Friday's podcast interview on Seeking Light. I um, Okay, so this intro will be just a little bit longer than normal because I know this person. <laughs> Sometimes I don't know the individual I'm interviewing, but I know this person. So this is my sister-in-law, Julie, and you have heard me bring up her name um, on different podcasts. And um, I want you to know that a lot of this podcast was birthed from her. <laughs> So I shared with you before on my, <laughs> she's bowing. You can't see her, but, um, uh, I went and visited Julie with Gannon, um, August before I launched the podcast in January. And, um, she was helping me. She got me into a coaching. Um, she's taught me so much about life. And, um, while we were there in August, she is a hairdresser and a woman of many, many talents. Anyway, we did, we got all prepped and ready and she took photos of me for my coaching website. And, um, she took some pictures of me with my scriptures and I was like, wow. And while we were there, she also shared with me that she thought that it would be awesome if I could do a podcast, um, a coaching one, and then one like on a scriptural references, because she knows how much I love the scriptures. So anyway, when everything came together in January and I felt really, um, led by the spirit, exactly what to do. Um, I understood then why the pictures with my scriptures came into play because I was able to immediately upload that as my, um, cover for my podcast. So today, uh, Julie and I, while, while I was in visiting her with the kids again in August, uh, this year, um, we were just talking about life and different people to interview in podcasts and, I was sharing with her that I really wanted to interview somebody in the gospel of Jesus Christ that um, had been divorced and how they found light through that process and how they continue to find light. And guess what? Julie and I, she graciously agreed that I could interview her because she's gone through divorce and she's going to share with you today some of the things that she learned about herself about our heavenly father and about how you get through different trials in your life that you're not anticipating. So without further ado, <laughs> I'm welcoming Julie. Julie. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> I feel welcomed properly. <laughs> well, she's, uh, she's my, um, mother of birthing these ideas. So you can all thank her. <laughs> okay. Julie. So just so they can get to know you a little bit, tell a little about where you grew up and a little bit about your family and about where you're at right now. Okay. I was born in a trailer. My dad delivered me. I'm not joking. Okay. Um, <laughs> it's like, no. I don't know if I've heard that one. Here you have it. I'm not joking. That's the <laughs> truth. Your dad delivered New, you? Yeah. I was, we lived in New Mexico and my parents had a underground telephone cable plowing business. And so we moved every six months. My mom had been to the doctor that day. I was her third baby in three years and they sent her home. Well, she saw a mouse, she screamed and her water broke and they were 40 minutes from a hospital. And then when her water breaks, the baby comes behind it. So she knew they didn't have time and quickly 
went to the bed and my dad delivered me and he had these always had these scissors in his pocket called snips and he even pulled them out to help my mom have an episiotomy and she was like what are you doing and he said what I've seen it done and she's like no. no anyways so I was born there then we moved shortly after to Utah uh, for four years where he finished his degree then we moved to um uh, San Ramon, California for four years where he did medical school. And then when I was eight, we moved to Arizona, Peoria, Arizona. And um, that's where he started his practice. And we lived there. I lived there for, let's see, we've been gone nine years. So 30, 31 years, 23 years. And that's where I met Rich. That's where my first marriage happened. But I come from a family of four children. I always say my parents are I was born of goodly parents. And I, I say that in every talk and everything because it's so true. And I looked up the definition and studied that scripture. And Nephi, I realized, wow, like how had I been so blessed to have been born of goodly parents that taught us what was right, followed the gospel, were great examples of work and in love and um, unconditional love and just really um, understanding the gospel and the spirit. So, um, yeah, I graduated high school early. I did homeschool because I'd kind of always been an old soul. So I graduated early at 16. I nannied for my aunt of five kids. Three were triplet babies for a year. I did a couple of years of junior college, came home, and I got married at 18 and a half. So what were your, um, like, what were your thoughts about marriage when you were younger? Were you, oh, did you feel like, I can't wait to get married and have yeah, kids? Or, okay. Totally. That's all I wanted. Get married, be a mom. Like that was strong on my heart. Um, I also wanted to do hair since I was little. And, but I will tell you this, all you girls and moms, anybody that wants to do hair, usually the, the response is, oh, well, that's nice. Uh, your daughter's going to do hair. Oh, oh, good for her. Like, <laughs> So I did two years of college because I felt like, oh, a little defeated. Let me make sure I don't want to do something that has a degree behind it. So that's why I did a little bit of school and I was young, but by 18, I was like, nope, I still want to do it. So I went to beauty school. Um, what'd you ask me? <laughs> no, I just wanted to know, like, were you the type that wanted to get married? And obviously you got married yes. at 18. So yeah. what, talk a little bit about that process about meeting him okay. and- Yes. Yeah, so we, um, he was my brother, one of my brother's really good friends. We were in the same ward and just hit it off. And, um, we started like hanging out slash we didn't date, we didn't go on dates, but we always hung out with group friends and that, uh, when I was 15 and then when I turned 16, but we were, he'd already asked me to be his girlfriend type of thing secretly mm -hmm. in groups. And then when we were 16, I went on my first official date, but that's my first tip and point for this podcast, podcast is don't date until you're 16. Back at that age, I was like, oh, I know I'm not supposed to, right? So we did it in secret or talked to each other on the phone. And, and I just thought it was this rule. And now that I go back and look back, I realize it's not a rule. It's literally for our protection, because I do believe you can fall in love at the age of 13, 14, 15. Mm -hmm. The problem is your brain is not fully formed and you have not experienced enough life to know what good love is, right? Mm -hmm. To, to have experienced 
what's, what's correct, what's healthy, what's not. And, and that love takes hold of your heart and your brain, and then it's hard to make decisions. Mm -hmm. So they say that your brain is fully formed at 16. Um, and so anyways, I learned that science and that you have not, it's not fully formed, but your common sense doesn't come into play until you're 16. Right. So how did your, how did your mom and dad feel about it? Um, I think they knew like, like, again, we were careful not to like date, date. I think they knew we liked each other and that, um, they knew him, they knew the family, they had their concerns, but they were fair. I don't know. They, my mom's opinion is a lot of us are raised by the time we're eight to 10. So from then on, you're just trying to hope that they choose right choices. So that's, that's just the thing I would look back is, is saying like, follow the prophet's counsel for that, because you're just going to be wiser, smarter, more experienced for if, and when that, that person comes along and you fall in love. And that's why a lot of parents, when their children get married young, it's like, not because you can't love the person and it can't work. You just like, haven't been around long enough. (laughs) Right. So, okay. So so how share about, yeah, just keep talking about how the relationship went after you guys got married and things like that. Right. So he was three years older. So basically we dated officially dated for a couple of months and he went on a mission and, um, I was sad. I didn't agree to wait for him, but that's when I went to college Then I nannied, then I came back to college and we writ, we wrote a lot, but not a ton. And again, I had dated a little bit in college and I was just living my own life right before he came home. I kind of was like, all right, I need to kind of figure out what I was going to do here. And I decided that I wanted to definitely give our relationship a chance. I prayed about it, was prayerful, was very strong in the gospel. And when he came home, I instantly knew like, yeah, I think we're going to be married. And, um, I, the, the details are fuzzy now. I want to say he proposed quickly, like a month after he got home. And even my mom had had spiritual impressions like, yep, this is going to happen. And so I was 18 and a half when I got married and he was 21. Right. So kind of crazy, but, um, I felt good about it. I knew we got married in the temple. We were worthy. I knew that heavenly father had answered a prayer that this would be okay. And there were some looking back, there were definitely some caution signs. If I had known what I know now, that probably would have held me back, but I didn't know it then. So I just look at it as this was an experience that I needed to go through to learn what I needed to learn. And I do say it could have worked. It could have worked. So I wanted to know oh, when, how, okay, for how long, tell me how long that you were married. Okay. Almost, it was almost five years. So like four years, nine months when the divorce was final and I had left like six months before that. And so. what things were you worried about that led to your real, realizing that the marriage was not going to last? Okay. So when I look back hindsight, some, some keys I should have paid more attention to was that old fashioned rule and saying that, how does he treat his mother? And I can remember we went to the Bishop for like pre-marriage council. Right. Mm -hmm. And he had brought up some things and for some reason I knew he didn't want me to marry him. And I kind of went in protection of that, like what a jerk or whatever. Right. 
but he brought up some really hard things in our interview, like what's going to happen if you lose a child and she's crying all the time, are you going to be able to handle that? And, and what's going to happen if, if he loses a job and this happens, you guys really need to be talking about these hard things and, and how does he treat his mother? And I remember leaving after and being like, I am kind of worried because you aren't kind to your mother. And he's like, well, she's not kind to me. She doesn't deserve it. Like, look at the way she treats me. And I was like, yeah, that's a really good point. He's like, I won't treat you that way. You don't, you don't treat me like that. And I remember being like, okay, but still being a little worried, but letting that shove down because he hadn't treated me that way. Everything was fine. Um, and then the things that progressed after that was more of a spiritual sense. Like the day after we got married, I had packed all my stuff and you know, like you, you pack your stuff, you're getting ready to get married. And then the, the morning of the marriage, I took all the stuff you need for that day. So I cleared off my nightstand and my bathroom, my toiletries and brought my scriptures. And he was so mad that I had brought my scriptures on the honeymoon. And I was like, what are you talking about? And my mom had given me a book about um, a husband and wife. And he was like, oh, you've been reading this. You, you know, more than me, blah, blah, blah. And I just was like, no, oh, I just grabbed my nightstand stuff. And it was this big fight the morning after we got married. Right. Um, and so these are things I look back on like, oh, geez. And from there, what I always say is, and like, even as we were getting divorced, I would just say he wasn't very nice. And um, divorce was never a thought in my mind until a couple things happened. But when I say that it could have worked, I feel like when, when two people stay close to the gospel and are following all of the commandments, the spirit softens any um, personality characteristics that may cause a problem in a marriage. Because a lot of times you just need to see the person trying. Mm -hmm. You need to see the person progressing with you and having commonalities. And he just progressively got farther and farther away from that. And if I tried to stay close, he actually would resent that. Like I was not allowed to play spiritual music in the house. Um, scripture reading together was not a good thing. I was belittled a lot for, for those types of things. He would show up, he would go to church and show up most of the time, um, but it just wasn't part of his everyday life. And I remember asking shortly before we started counseling all that, like, what happened? What's like, why, where's your testimony? And he's like, I'm just tired. My mission tired me out. And I said, uh, okay, it's been four years. Like how, how much more of a rest do you need? So, those were the things. And, and what it boiled down to was after counseling for both of us and me separate is he just had a, a mental health illness called borderline personality that his mom had had and, and his grandma had had, and it does transfer to children. And basically it's, it's a result of not being unconditionally loved. And so as you grow up, you start chameleon yourself and doing whatever you have to do to try and make this person love you. But along the way, it distorts your mind, your sense of reality and who you are because you're constantly trying to be somebody that this person will love. Right. Right. And there's just, and if you study it, there's just a lot that goes into it. It's rarely healed. So knowing that in your youth, you wanted to be married and have a family and then here, this complete shift of your life takes place. How did you reconcile that? Like actually going through the divorce. Yeah. Realizing this might be coming to an end. 
What does yeah. the future look like for me? What did you, how did you try to do a mind shift when you had your kind of your life planned out? Okay. So for me, marriage wasn't an option and I'm a positive person. So even when things were hard or you mean divorce, divorce wasn't an option. Divorce wasn't an option. Did I say marriage? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Divorce wasn't an option. You're married for time and alternity and you stick it out and figure it out. Right. Um, and so I can remember thinking like, Oh geez, how am I going to get through this? And I look back and think maybe I'll die. Like maybe that's how heavenly father will get me out of this and kind of being okay with that. And that didn't shock me enough at that time to realize that's a bit of a problem. How it started was my dad, my parents never said anything. Like once my mom said, after he had yelled at me in front of her and stuff, she got in the car and I said, I'm sorry. And she said, you have nothing to be sorry for. She said, I just hurt for you because I don't think you'll ever get treated the way your father treats me. And I kind of was like, yeah, that's an obtainable mom. What are you talking about? My dad's a saint, right? Um, and then they didn't, they just didn't say much. They gritted their teeth a lot, but he came in one night and said, um, shut the door. I had a, a room in the salon that I was working at. And he said, I need to talk to you. And he handed me a pamphlet on being a righteous father and husband. And I don't even know what it says, but it's, it's put out by the church. And I think it's providing for your family temporally, spiritually, um, and holding the priesthood. And, and he said, your husband is none of these things. He does not have a job. He does not have a testimony. And whatever the third one is, I should have looked it up. And I just kind of was like, yeah, whatever. I know he's a jerk, but it's fine. And then he handed me a list of emotional abuse. And there was like 10 or 12 things. And I read them. And it was at that moment that I was like, oh, crap. Like, because everything was happening in my life. But I didn't realize it. I was just moving along. Everything was going to be happy. And he said, I want to give you a blessing. And so he gave me a father's blessing. And he said, you need to have some counseling. And you guys need to figure this out, but don't have children. We were thinking about getting pregnant. He's don't have children that will only make things worse. Babies don't help. And so I went home and I took a couple of days to process. And I, first I was pissed, like so mad that I had allowed him to do this to me and that he had done this to me. Like I just was mad. And then I softened a little and I was able to approach him and say, I handed him the, the, the emotional abuse list. And he was angry too, but a little bit willing to go to counseling. So we went to counseling for six months, but nothing changed. And the counselor was the one who diagnosed him. And we would go in for an hour and he would talk to me for five minutes and then talk to him for the 55 minutes. And I just felt like I was drowning. Like, what the heck? And he finally called us both in and said, this is what you have. And, and here's some things to do. And I was like, sweet, we have a diagnosis. Let's do this. We can fix it. But then things went from bad to worse after that. And so I got to the point where now that I look back, it was bad anxiety. Like I couldn't breathe when I was home. He turned it on me, blamed me for making him that way. He didn't deny that he had it, but it was my fault now. And so I just was like sick. And so I decided like for my own physical health, I had to, I was leaving for a week. I was like, I got to go. He he had started throwing things. And so I went to stay at my parents' house for a week. And even leaving for that week, I was not getting divorced. I just needed to breathe. But I got to their house and again, they said nothing. They would listen as I cried and they tried to help, but they didn't, weren't swaying me one way or the other. 
And I can remember sitting out on my back patio, reading through a book of this borderline personality and what to do. And it was for the person involved in a relationship. And it's called walking on eggshells because you're constantly <laughs> trying to please them. Um, and, and listening to church music and reading my scriptures. And I just was so grateful to be back with the spirit and being around that. And I made a decision at that time that I would never not have that in my life again, never not have a home where these things were an everyday part of my life, right? And my dad came down one day and said, and he's a man of fewer words and we had all been praying. And he said, if you go back, the abuse will not stop. And I remember I just kind of hung my head and I was like, I know, but I was deciding I was gonna go back, but I wasn't gonna have children until we got this all figured out because I wasn't gonna create another generation. So then after that, I went to counseling. I found my own counselor, which is a woman I attribute most of my knowledge to and learning. And she was the one that taught me so much. And, and all of the, the tools that she gave me is kind of what I have, have brought me to now and what I've been able to help other people with. Okay, I want you to tell some of those tools because you've shared with me about her before. And I really think that she was a huge um, influence in who you are, like you said. So mm -hmm. can you share some of the things that she taught you in your appointments yes. with her? Yes. And that's kind of the things I jotted down is the first thing we met and she was great at like, hey, you need to get to know how amazing you are. So let's build you back up. What do you love to do? What do you? And I was like, I don't know. You, you kind of give everything up for a while. Um. And she, um, she taught me how to understand the sacrament and all that. But she also told me this. I said, I can't pray to Heavenly Father and ask him if I can get a divorce. He's not going to give me that answer. It's going to be no. So I feel alone in making this decision, right? Because at this point I had told him like, it's not just going to be a week. Like I'm going to need some time. And so um, and she said, oh no, you definitely can pray. You are wrong. And I'll never forget these words. She said, if you are in a position in your life, whether it be marriage or a job or a career or, or a relationship, and it is going to be detrimental to your own personal salvation, Heavenly Father will pull you out of that so fast you won't know what hits you. He absolutely can see the end from the beginning. And if this is a marriage that's going to harm that, you absolutely can pray to find out. And he will give you that answer. And so with that knowledge, I felt like, oh my gosh, I didn't understand that. I thought that the, the celestial marriage was more important that we maintain that covenant than me being happy. And so I went to the temple weekly for months and she taught me how to pray effectively in the temple and receive answers and, and to listen. And it was, you know, constant vigilant searching in that, that I went and I was able to, to receive the answer that, yeah. You're welcome to go back and I will love you and support you, but the abuse will not stop and it will affect your eternal salvation. And when you receive a clear answer like that, I mean, just as if the gospel were true or when you are supposed to get married, you're, you know, you just know. And so after that, you're, the things that fall into place are a lot easier. So number one, know that your eternal salvation is more important than anything else your relationship with heavenly father and the covenants you have made and he's very aware of you and where those are at 
Um, okay. So number two, any questions on that, Beth? No, I think it's great. Okay. Going. <laughs> <laughs> um, the second thing I learned was my patriarchal blessing. And this is something I try and teach every young person because they're sacred, right? And I think along with that comes um, when something's sacred, like the temple or our blessings or a personal experience you have, we tend to not talk about them a lot. Mm-hmm. And we're encouraged to get them and we know they're amazing. And we know if we do what's right, those things will happen, right? Well, I had been one that had always basically done what was right. Um, and so I just kept cruising, felt like, yeah, if, if this happens, then, you know, but two things in my patriarchal blessing and my counselor was specially had special permission from Salt Lake to review patriarchal blessings. And I don't know how that works or whatever, but she said, I want you to bring it in and we're going to go through it. And we're going to find out your um, spiritual gifts and talents through the blessing. And she asked me, did your patriarchal blessings match up? I said, no, they didn't. And that was a concern to me. And I remember talking about it to someone and they were like, oh, it's okay. Sometimes maybe a choice you made earlier in life made it so that this didn't happen. I remember his said, you will meet your wife at college. Well, he was dead set against not going to college. And so he was like, well, that's stupid. I'm not going to meet my wife there because I'm not going to college. And mine said I would serve a mission. And at that time, it was like, well, it could be in the spiritual world. It could be when you're older, it could be this, but getting married was first. And so what I learned from her was, no, no, no. Your patriarchal blessing is a roadmap and you are supposed to make it to those towns and every, and do everything in your power. So if the Lord says you're to serve a mission, you do everything in your power that you can to serve a mission. If the Lord says you're to have children, you do everything in your power to have those children or get married or this and that. And timing is specific. And I didn't understand that. Right. And, and the cool thing is though, if you miss an exit and you get off and you go around, he will put you back on path, but you might have missed a town. Right. And your blessings will still be added upon you. But I didn't understand that. And so she said, well, the next person you marry, before you get to the point of talking about marriage, you're really going to want to make sure that your blessings match up. And, some, and a lot of times blessings are super vague and they, they will, they'll match up. But in some cases, especially ours, they didn't. And I felt like, I think my state president even talked to me about that. And I felt like gypped that I didn't understand that, right? Like that was a tool that Heavenly Father had given me and I didn't know. And so know that. <laughs> okay, What's moving number on. Three? Number three, know your adversary. Before I got married and went through all of this Satan again was somebody that we didn't talk about much he's that's not fun and I knew he was there I knew it was a part of the plan but I didn't understand I didn't understand to know him to know how he specifically works on me yeah it just was something that was like scary like I didn't want to go into that horror film right and so she there's a book and it's actually used for pornography and it's called uh, putting on the armor, armor of God. And I think it's Stephen Kramer. I keep that book in my bookshelf. And she says, don't worry about the end. It's, you know, a lot about pornography, but the first couple chapters teach you how to learn your adversary. And it was so enlightening to know um, what emotions he uses against you, what thoughts he uses against you. And on the contrary, if, if he is these thoughts, then Heavenly Father is all of these. And, 
and that helped me decipher the spirit and knowledge and where my inspiration was coming from. Um, if I'm feeling bad about myself and I think, well, I better just stop that. Like if I feel like, let's say I feel like I'm not a good enough mother and I'm feeling these, these emotions and I better just, let's just put them in daycare. I'm a terrible mother. That's not, that's not an answer. First of all, the adversary came at me with depressing feelings. And if I'm going to follow that um, lion or what, what do they say, feeding the, the wrong dragon or whatever, then I'll make those decisions based on he's got me. But if I turn around and go, no, no, wait, feelings of depression and thoughts of, of that is not from my heavenly father. He would only want to encourage me and build me up. So instead of avoiding it, putting my kids in daycare, I'm going to, to know that I'm a good mother and continue to build on those skills. Right. So know your adversary. So and what did you notice that the adversary was whispering to you about your situation? Um, I had to learn that it takes two to create a divorce. And I don't care if he's the worst person in the world. I had to learn that I allowed it, right? Um, by, by allowing someone, by allowing incorrect principles or abuse to happen and continue, I was a co-contributor to that. And I look back and there, of course I tried to fight. Of course I tried to stake my claim and but I got, I just quit fighting because it didn't help. Nothing I said worked, no argument helped, no, no point of view. I remember one time we were living in a garage. We had no shower. He never really held down a job. He was always looking for one or marketing or starting a business. And so I would work two jobs and work long hours. And, and I remember just being like, okay, when are we going to get this house? And I just, I just need to know, like, you know, I'm, I had to drive 45 minutes to take a shower at the gym every day and then go to school and then come back. And I, anyways, and he flipped it to say, um, I'm not good enough for you. Like I left that, that argument feeling like I was the worst person in the world for expecting an answer from that. And how could I make him feel so bad? So you, I had started fighting, but I had given up long ago and would just kind of take it. And so, but because I was taking it, those things he told about me or called me I kind of believed, right? And when you're feeling badly about yourself, you're not going to progress as well. Right. So, so ways I know he comes at me is of course, through your thoughts. Um, food kind of becomes my buffer. Like mm -hmm. my, um, when I'm feeling bad or sad, I'll eat. That makes you feel a little better. Um, and I think, I think you have to be aware because it changes for your life. Um, and I think mostly it comes at you at your thoughts. And so just being aware that the negative ones are here and from his side and the positive ones are here and being able to catch them, stop them and return it. She thought she taught me thought stopping, which is basically like when you start going down that rabbit hole of negativity, you say out loud, stop. And then you replace it with a good thought or a song. And I know I had to choose um, a song and it was, I need thee every hour. And you just start singing that song and it takes, it completely reverts your brain out of that pattern and resets it. And you do it enough times, you erase that thought. She was good, Julie. She She's was good. very good. I tell everyone, you run to counseling. Something happens in your life, you run. The, the tools you use are, are for your entire life. What okay, was so the next thing she taught you? The next thing is to feel the atonement. So if I got married at 18, I was 23 when we got divorced, right? Or slightly under that. Um, I at that time, the atonement was for when I'd done something really bad. 
when I needed to repent, when I had caused harm in someone, I didn't understand it for the spiritual healing and the complete hug and warmth and peace that it, that it's for as well. And I, someone gave me a book. I think it was my mom. Cause I can remember kind of where I was at and it was just, I want to say it wasn't infinite atonement. It was something else, but it was, um, teaching me that the atonement is even more for when you are hurting and sad. And I was, was able to pray through that. And again, the counselor taught me, like, she taught me ways to get through. Like I can remember sitting before I was going to go into work one day and I was just crying and I didn't know how I was going to do the day. And she had taught me a literal sense of, of grabbing all those burdens, holding them in your hands and saying a prayer and literally throwing it up to heaven and, and having the faith to know that he would take those burdens. Like, here you go. I can't handle it anymore. And I, I did it. I, you know, experimented upon her word and decided I'm going to do this. Cause I don't know what else to do. I'm breaking, you know? And so I remember doing that and just having this immediate, like whoa, peace come over me and realizing that I had just physically, spiritually, mentally applied the atonement and that I immediately felt better. Right. Mm -hmm. So was it still heavy? Yeah. But as I continued to just pray, ask for help, ask for that peace, time heals all those wounds and you're given the tender mercies you need to get through the days if you're looking. So realize well, that, go ahead. That reminds me too of president Nelson, you know, when he said, um, joy is not so much about the circumstances of our lives, but the focus of our lives. Mm -hmm. And so taking the focus and giving it to God of the, the things that are not serving you well, or not providing any comfort for you and allowing those, their focus to be on the savior can heal me. He can comfort me. He can provide me with a peace that I'm searching for. Yeah, I agree with that hundred percent. And I think until you actually put all your faith in and try it yeah, is when it becomes real. And to this day, like it's really the only thing that will stop my tears fully and my peace. My husband can try. He he's so sweet, but until I break down and say, heavenly father, I can't carry this anymore. I need, I mean, my, I need your help. My tears stop immediately. And I'm like, just calm. And I, I like, if I could find a way to teach someone to just try it and keep trying, I wish they would because it's all it healing. Yeah, mm -hmm. it works. Mm -hmm. Yeah. doesn't take away the problem, but it no, <laughs> no, it doesn't. But you know what? The burden is lifted from your shoulders and you are able to have the strength to move forward. Yeah, exactly. Okay. What was the last okay. thing she taught you? The last thing, and I don't know if this was her, but this is another um, thing that I feel like is so important is lately um, a lot of, a lot of people that are mad. So mad about divorce or, or their place in life, they say to themselves, I did everything right for me. I did everything right. Like I, I was a valiant child. I was eight when I knelt down and prayed to know if the gospel was true and received my answer because my primary teacher had told me and it changed me and I never looked back. Right. So I'd done everything right. I got married in the temple. I kept my covenants. I wasn't doing the things that he was doing to destroy our marriage, but um, I could have gotten to that point and been like, oh, that was all for nothing. Fantastic. This is all not true. Right. 
And um, it was actually an ex-sister-in-law that, that had said, she had a seminary teacher teach her that if you read the Book of Mormon every day, you'll be happy, right? And I believe in that. I remember people saying, she's so naive. Like that is not, no, that's not, that doesn't take away your problems. But she was wiser than the rest of us because not only will it make you happy, but it gives you that peace, right? So reading the Book of Mormon every day, and then if you do what's right, no matter what, you will be blessed. So doing the hard thing is sometimes what's right, but it feels hard and you don't mm -hmm. want to do it, right? Yeah. You don't want to stand up at church. You don't want to walk out of the R-rated movie. You don't want to leave a marriage or leave a job that you know no, that's not right for you. But if you do what's right, no matter what, you will be blessed. And um, I feel like as I've talked to other people who have been through marriages and they fall away from the church after, because it was an if then, if I do all these things, then I'm going to have this perfect life. And when that doesn't happen, they're out, right? And the thing I always try to teach people and help them understand is we signed up to have experiences, I call them now. They're not trials, they're experiences that will teach us. And if we're truly to be like our Heavenly Father, then we're going to have lots of children that we need to help. And we need to sucker and understand and be compassionate, have empathy for, and how else can we better understand them than like the Savior and go through it yourself, right? Right. So each, each experience we have is to teach us. And if we do what's right, Heavenly Father will take care of us. So I've been through hard things, death and divorce and infertility and, and all these things. And they were hard, but I was okay through all of it. Right. It didn't destroy me. It didn't destroy my testimony. It was hard. And some of it was long, but as long as I held on, I was okay. And I think the difference is instead of following the commandments, because in return, I will receive these blessings, follow the commandments because you love the Lord and you, you trust the savior's atonement and he will bless you no matter what. And that's yeah. my biggest your the conversion is unto the Lord, not unto something else. Mm -hmm. So it runs so much deeper. It's okay, so what um, after your divorce, what were some things that you did to keep maintaining the information you had learned from your counselor and also just growing in your own personal life? What did what were some things that you did personally? So um, the Temple Weekly. When you're single or don't have kids, do that because like it buoys you for the rest of your life, right? Um, I am a try and be a daily learner of the word, whether it's scriptures or general conference or podcasts. I'm just constantly trying to enlighten my mind. And when I do, it's often, yes, my prayers are answered, but I'm also able to help someone else. And as a hairdresser, I'm a counselor first, and then I'm a hairdresser. And so I have all these wonderful women that sit in my, in my uh, chair and my other friend will say, I swear you know everything. And I'm like, it's only cause I've spent 20 years listening, right? To, to these valiant women that have gone through life's trials and I listen and I learn. And every once in a while I'm able to help them with what I have studied and tried. And so I've learned a lot listening through their experiences and um, 
they become your friends and your closest friends. And so my heart aches for them and then I'll search for answers for them. Um, I truly believe that the time we're given on earth is for the Lord's purpose. So sometimes when I get out of balance, I have to remember that, or I'm, I'm unhappy. It's usually because I'm not serving enough. So I try and make sure that if I'm becoming low or unsatisfied, that's usually because I'm looking too inward. So those are ways that I find truest happiness is serving others. Um, and after, I will say after I was divorced, I was going to be single for many years. <laughs> I hadn't really dated. I wanted to travel. I realized I made lots of money. I didn't realize because I just handed it all to him because we were a team. And so it was it was fun to think, oh my gosh, I can support myself and I can travel and I was going to serve a mission. I had mission papers in. I was going to get back on that road, right? The patriarchal blessing. I had learned that I had veered off, but it was not too late. And I was going to go on a mission. And um, the Lord handed me my husband on a silver platter after I put my mission papers in. <laughs> the, fourth, and, the fourth watch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I remember they were supposed to come back in three weeks. And it took 13 weeks for the, for those mission papers to come back. And Rich, Rich had asked me on a date and I was like, yeah, sure. I was dating. I was experiencing life, but we fell in love quickly. And by 13 weeks, what's that? Three or four months, you know, in Mormon life, it's fast. And we were in love and my papers wouldn't come. And I remember praying and asking and going to my Bishop and, and, um, he said, if you find a righteous priesthood holder, your first job is to get married. Right. And I was fine with that, but I still was like, mm. my mom, knowing me and knowing that if someone tells me what to do, I don't want to do it. She said, you need to make up your mind. And once you do, your call will come, your answer will come and it will match yours. And so I asked my dad for a blessing and in the blessing, it was clear of what I was to do, that I was to marry rich. My papers came two days later and they said I was not to go on a mission because once you've been divorced and, and maybe you guys don't know this, after you've been divorced, you can go but it has to be approved by the first presidency and because it had been so quickly. They were like, yeah, I think you need more time. And I was like, I am fine. Do not tell me, <laughs> but it I didn't am matter. Ready to go. Yeah. I have done the work. I'm ready. So they so, literally sent, sent the letter that said you're not to go right now. Yeah. You're not approved. Mm -hmm. Well, thank heavens you chose rich. <laughs> right. I know it was great. I know. Could you imagine? Ah! <laughs> He would, he would have never let that. you down. That's so funny. <laughs> okay. So now you've got rich, you've got your four children. Mm -hmm. You guys have been married for what? 15? No, 16, 16 years. Mm -hmm. Okay. So my last question, as you always know, is having gone through divorce, coming out where you're at right now, how are you seeking light? on a daily basis. You kind of shared about your scripture reading and um, serving other people. Are there some other things that come to your mind of how you seek light on a daily basis? Um, so I think I'm in constant contact with Heavenly Father, right? The prayer that's always in your heart and on your mind. And I think that's huge to realize like he is my father in heaven that understands me most and knows me. And so if I maintain that relationship, just like if, if you don't call your dad, but once a year, 
or once a day and you say the same things, thank you for this food, please bless it. Where's your relationship and how well do you know each other, right? And so as I learn about him and his son, the savior, and I act upon his words and I'm constantly applying the principles that I've been taught and I've learned, um, it keeps me seeking light. You know, through the pandemic, I had to learn, um, hold on. We would all get so turmoiled. It was a scary time. The news, the all the conspiracies, the government, everything was just crazy. And I spent a couple months probably going down that rabbit hole and and things became hopeless. And I had to turn it all off. I turned it all off. I got back to my scriptures and again, immediate peace. Immediate, it's gonna be okay. Stay on the path, you're gonna be okay. And so daily now I try and teach and remember that when confusion comes and the light seems dark, you just return back, you reset. It's kind of like that thought stopping, like yell stop and replace it with good. And your brain will be set correctly and you will be able to find the peace and answers that you receive. And so that's my constant battle for any question that I have or any problem is I, I stop, stop the negative, know my adversary, reset, and then find the answers that are eternal and that matter versus the ones that cause confusion and harm. And then my one last thing. Yeah. Sorry. For someone that is thinking about divorce or maybe feels like they didn't come out so good from their divorce and they are angry or uh, mad at Heavenly Father or the church or that, I always say, get to counseling. Might take one or two. But know that there are so many blessings in store for you. Just get back on the path, trust in your heavenly father. And if you're seeking, if you're thinking, I think I need to get divorced. Remember that it is an eternal life, right? And the one hardest question that my stake president asked me was, if you get to the next life and all of his faults are removed, all of the idiosyncrasies, all of the characteristics that drive you nuts. Um, if the wrong has been righted and the pain has healed, will you want to be sealed to this person for eternity? And if you can answer yes, probably should hang on. If it makes you want to throw up a little, you probably should, <laughs> you probably should know that that's kind of where you're at. But um, know that there, that in the eternal, in the eternities, a lot of those things will be taken away, and so. I always say, I didn't understand that you're to go to your bishop first and your stake president before you decide to be divorced. I didn't understand that. I didn't want to bother anybody with my time and my problems, but they are set apart on your behalf and are given certain keys and tools to help you make decisions. And so go to those courses, counseling, bishop, stake president. You don't have to like what they have to say, but if you go in with an open heart and open mind, I think that you will be guided to the right the right path for you and your eternal progression. Julie, thank you. Yes, ma'am. I am very grateful that you would come on here and talk about um, such a, to me, it's a, it's a heavy topic because, you know, I'm not saying all, but more than half the members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints are single. I'm not mm -hmm. saying that's all from divorce, but I really felt like it's a topic that there is, we still can find light no matter what, um, where our, where our life is going or what experiences we're going through. So I just want to say, thanks. 
Thank you. I am so grateful that you listened to my latest podcast. Please share these episodes with your family and friends. I look forward to being with you again soon. Have a great day.